we've talked about children and the blessings of having children. But tonight I want to kind of broach the subject of raising our children for the glory of God. And there's an awful lot that we could say uh, about this subject and, and will. In the coming weeks, there are a lot of things that we're going to be covering in regard to some of the details on things that the Bible tells us about raising our children for the Lord. But tonight, I'll let you remain seated as we read our passage of Scripture. If you want to bring that up here, that'd be great. Thank you, Joseph. I'll let you remain seated tonight as we read in Deuteronomy 6. Remember that this is the Lord through Moses giving the law now for the second time to the nation of Israel and really telling them and teaching them how they can live according to his will and his word. And let's go ahead and begin reading in verse number 1 of Deuteronomy 6. It says here, These are... to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down. When thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Parents, I want to ask you a a question. I don't want you to respond to me, but within your own mind, what is your greatest desire for your children? Now, we might have a an answer in our mind that seems like this is the correct answer. But I want to know, or I want you to know and and consider for yourself, what is the truth about your desire for your children? You see, most parents want for their children that they would be, that they would prosper uh, physically, that they would be in health, that they would have healthy relationships with their family, with their friends, that they would grow up to perhaps get married and have children of their their own and have a happy home. We would want them to prosper materially, would we not? We would want our children to uh, be able to, uh, you know, be comfortable in life and have the things that they need and even some things that they desire. I, I think most good parents would want those things for their children. Uh, Some parents are really driven to try to help their children to become highly successful, to be educated, to become well-off overall. We can maybe summarize it by saying parents want their children to be happy. What, What parent, what good parent, what parent who loves their children would ever say, 
uh, that they wouldn't want their children to be happy. This is, a, this is a desire of our hearts. Few things make my heart uh, more happy than when I see a smile on the faces of my children. When I see the joy that comes from them, when, uh, when I'm able to do something good for them, and we want to see our children happy. And that's a good thing. But can I say to you that all of those things, while they may be good in and of themselves, ought not to be the primary goal of parents. Our primary goal in life should not be that we could raise happy, healthy kids. That may seem strange to you, but think about it. Is happiness and health all there is to life? Well, no, actually we know that that's not the case. Uh, from a biblical viewpoint, a bi biblical standpoint, we understand that God actually has things for us and desires things of us that would be higher and above just our own personal satisfaction and happiness. We are to live for a higher calling and for a higher purpose. And while we desire for our children to be happy and healthy and, and for them to prosper in the things of this life, Jesus told us that the focus of our life is not to be the things of this earth primarily. In fact, we're told in Matthew chapter 6 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then, he said, then all these things shall be added unto you after we have sought him and his kingdom. Now, I think we understand that in our, in our minds, at least theologically, we grasp that concept. But friend, I want to say to you that if you are seeking first the things of the kingdom of God, you're seeking his righteousness first and foremost in your life, you ought to desire that your children will seek first the kingdom of God. That should be your desire. That should be your prayer. You shouldn't just pray, Lord, make them healthy and happy and, and give them a prosperous and good life. The truth is that we ought to be raising children for the glory of God. And some would say, well, I don't just want happy and healthy kids, but I want good kids. I, I want kids that grow up to be, you know, respectful. I, I want kids that grow up to be uh, obedient, to be strong and, and um, uh, you know, just, just tax-paying citizens, you know, good, good well-rounded moral people. I want my children to live a good life. And again, those things are wonderful, but friend, I've got to tell you, and, and this may sound harsh, if I raise good kids who are moral, who have a successful life, and who live happily, and it stops there, I as a parent have failed. Because God has not called me to simply raise happy, healthy, educated, successful, moral, good citizens. God has called me to raise the next generation of godly servants of the Lord. My desire, my heart for my children and yours ought to be that they would know and love and serve God above all else. Can I show you that this is God's will? This is God's will for your children. Look at verse number 2, if you would. It says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God and keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee 
thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. God says it's not just enough for you to know and love and serve God. But I want your children to know and love me and obey me. And not only your children, but your children's children. And by the way, the implication is that that keeps going. It's tragic to me how many times we'll see young people that are raised in a Christian home, raised in a Bible-preaching church, whose parents know and love God, but they themselves choose to follow after the things of this world, choose to follow after worldly success. Now, I want to say to you that God is not against success. In fact, he wants us to be successful. Joshua, he told Joshua in in chapter 1 and verse number 8, he said that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good, what? Success. God wants us to be successful, but we understand that there are some implications to that. First of all, God's definition of success may be different than ours. And secondly, true success for for a Christian is first and foremost to, to honor God with the life that he has given to us. And everything else has to take second place. So he wants for us to raise our children in such a way that they too would follow the Lord. Now, why is this complicated? This is complicated because we cannot force our children to do anything. There's going to come a day, even for those of us who have young children still at home, there's going to come a day that they have to make their own choices. And the only thing that we can do is try and prepare them to embrace the truth that they need, to embrace their upbringing, Solomon said it this way, my son, give me thine heart. In other words, son, I I desire for you, not just that you would learn the things that I'm trying to teach you, but that you would incline your heart to these things, that you would commit yourself and make the choice to embrace and to receive what I am trying to give to you. And folks, we ought to be begging the Lord to do this for, for our children. We ought to be asking our children, listen, don't just believe this. Don't just take this because I'm telling you to do this. I want you to embrace it yourself. Parents, you ought to be encouraging your children to seek the Lord and to know Him. It's not enough for your children to follow in your footsteps. They need to follow in Christ's footsteps. They need to follow Him. For those of you who know my testimony, and I won't go into all of that right now, but I will tell you this, that there was a time in my life where where I had a lot of confidence in the God that I thought I knew, simply because it was what my parents told me and what my pastor taught me and what I had learned growing up. But there came a point in my life where I was so far from God in my relationship that I didn't know what to believe anymore. I didn't know what was true and what was error. How could I discern truth from error? And all of a sudden, it didn't matter anymore what I had been taught. In fact, the reality was I even told God, I said, Lord, I don't care 
what my parents believe or what my parents taught me or what my pastor said or, or what my upbringing was. I want to know you because you have revealed truth to me. Parents, you need to understand that there must come a time in your children's life where they embrace the truth personally between them and God. So we can't force this. We, 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 can, we can try to set them up for success, but we cannot control their souls. However, the Lord here in this passage of Scripture gives a pretty good prescription that if we follow it, what did he say? That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. If you want your children, this is what he's saying, if you want your children to follow me and to know me and to fear me, here's what you do. Now there's often a lot of attention that's given to verses 6 through 9. And we're going to get to those. But here's a novel thought. Before we get to verses 6 through 9, there's uh, three verses in between there. Look what he says in verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Can I say to you tonight that if we want our children to grow up to know and love and serve God, that it must be true of us that we love God? God said, if you want your children to do this, you, you, need to love me. We often emphasize the need for children to feel and to know their parents' love for them, and that's true. I want my children to know that I love them. In fact, I, I desire that more than words could express that my children would sense from their father a, a deep love. That they know, I want them to know they can always trust me. They can always count on me. That I will always be there for them. That I'd do anything for them. I want them to know that. But friend, did you know that it's just as important? Maybe more so. Not just that they know that I love them. but They need to know that I love him. He said, and I know this is a familiar verse, but I, I want you to... Just let's break this down a little bit for a moment. Verse 5, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Your heart in the Bible doesn't just refer to that organ in your chest that pumps blood. It refers to your innermost being and desires. Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. God needs to have all of you. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and 
hate the other or else he'll cleave to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And I'm afraid that too many of us are divided in our loyalty and in our love. It's not that we don't love God. We're thankful for the salvation that he's given to us. We're thankful for all that he's done for us. But we also kind of have a love for the world. The things of the world, the material goods, the entertainment of the world, just just the world in general. We, We embrace it. We love it. We consider this place to be home. And you know what happens? We have a divided focus because God said, or the Bible tells us in 1 John, in chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we are to love God with all our heart, with all of our being, with all that we are, God needs to be the priority of our life. We're to love him. He said to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Your soul is the real you. That's your being. That is who you are. Your soul is the seed of your emotions, your thoughts. Do you love God? with all you are, with all your desire, with all your being, does your life reflect a genuine and sincere love for God that is all-consuming and all-controlling, that affects every aspect of your life? And then it says, I love this, not only with all thy heart and with all thy soul, but he says, with all thy might... What is might? Might is strength. Might is something that requires effort. When we do something with our might, or we do something with our strength, it's because we're willing to put in some effort. If we're going to lift a heavy object, we might ask for someone who is strong, not so they can come over and just kind of, you know, lightly lift something up. We we expect this is something that's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take someone who is exercised. We are to love God with our innermost being, with who we are, with all of our desires, and we are to do it intentionally, with purpose. Do you love God on purpose? Do you seek Him with intentionality and purpose? Can I ask you this? Do your children see you see in you a genuine and sincere love for God? Do they see you seeking Him with your whole heart? Sometimes we focus on the importance of loving our children. And again, I'm not trying to put, to minimize that in any way. I love my children. I love my kids Again, more than words could ever express. We were gone this week. My wife and I had the privilege of spending a few days just, just away. And we enjoyed that. And we were thankful that the grandparents came and watched the kids. But I'm going to tell you something. A couple days in, it was getting kind of hard. We miss our kids. We like our kids. We enjoy spending time with them. We love being around them. I'm sitting up here tonight watching all these kids on the front row. Every one of them brought a smile to my face at one time or another. But none of them did it quite as much as my kids did. I love my kids. Thankful for them. 
But if I love my kids more than I love my God, that love's not in its proper place. And actually, my children have become an idol. Do you know your kids can become an idol in your life? You need to love God first. Let me give you an example of this. Let's go back just a few pages of the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. I want to show you an example of some people that put their children and what they thought was the welfare of their children ahead of God and God's will and purpose for them. And the outcome of that was actually detrimental not only to them but also to their children. Numbers 14, verse number 1, it says, in, the, in all the congregation, this is, this is after, if you remember, just uh, the, the, the 12 spies had gone into the land of Canaan to spy it out, and they came back, 10 of them had an evil report, and they said, we can't go into the promised land because there's giants there. It's a good place, but, but if we go in there, they're going to kill us. So verse 1 of chapter 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword? Listen to this, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt... And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Now I understand that there was a lack of faith on the part of the, the men of Israel and, and there, there was a cowardice there that caused them to not go into the promised land. But by their own admission and by their own mouth, they were not only concerned for their lives, but they felt that God had done them wrong because they were afraid that they and their wives and their children were going to die in the wilderness. Or trying to take the promised land. And here was their, their heart. You know what we ought to do? We should go back to Egypt. We should go back to the place of bondage. We should go back to the place with cruel taskmasters. Because at least there we had food to eat. At least there our lives weren't in jeopardy. So let's make us a captain. Let's find a leader who will take us back into Egypt because God's will is too dangerous. There's an application here, friends. I'm afraid too many Christian people are afraid to follow the will of God for their life because they feel that God's will is too dangerous for them, for their wives, and for their children. I have known people, and I could give you names, and I'm not going to do that, but I could give you names of people who have said, I, I believe that God might want me to go to a mission field, but what about my kids? Notice these, what God said to them. Look down, if you would, to verse number 26. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. 
your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. So here was the consequence of that. They refused to obey the Lord and they missed out on the promised land. They would die in the wilderness. But look at verse 31. But your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, them will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness and your children shall wander in the wilderness Forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. The consequence of not following God's will was that they would not enter the promised land, but sadly their children would bear their iniquity. Their children would spend 40 years in the wilderness. Friend, it's a costly thing to put anything before God, even our children. And there is nothing better for your family than to be right in the center of God's will, living by faith, trusting Him, loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Obeying Him. We sang the song earlier tonight, Trust and Obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. We also sang, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, put God first in your life. It's the best thing for your family. Put God first. So as we go back to Deuteronomy 6, he says, if you want your children to know and love and fear God, you have to know God. You have to love God. You have to fear God. And then he says in verse number 6, and I love this, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. If you want your children to obey God, you're going to have to model for them a love for God, but also a love for His word. Your children need to see that the Bible is not something where you simply have a few verses that you throw out at them to try and get them to comply to your rules. You know, we, we, we joke about the fact that probably the first verse that our kids learn, you know, the scripture verse that they learn is Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, you know. And, and, and we'll use things like that, or maybe, you know, be sure your sin will find you out. We teach our kids these verses because we're trying to teach them to do right and to obey. But friend, I want you to know that this book better be more than just a proof text to get your children to do what you want. This book needs to be real to you. They need to see your love for the Word of God. I, I was just encouraged tonight as I saw our young people up here singing about the Bible, the Word of God, and what it means. But I also, I'm not, I'm not naive, neither are you, that many of these young people up here do not yet know the value of this book. They've heard it. 
They understand that, that that's true, but they have not yet learned to embrace it. Most of them probably don't really know in depth what it says. We want our children to grow to know God and we, we know him through his word. But friend, if you want your children to know the word of God, you have to love it. Your children are not going to follow, they're not going to grow beyond where you are without the Lord intervening and working in their lives. But you, you need to model that for them. Job said of the word of God, he said, I've esteemed it more than my necessary food. Your children can probably tell you, or could probably tell me, I won't ask them. They could probably tell me what your favorite food is. Can I ask you a question? Could they tell you, tell me what your favorite Bible verse is? Do, do they see that this is something that matters to you? It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's not just another book that we you know, beat people over the head with. This, this, is, this is our life, folks. This is what we live by. This is our foundation. This is truth. I want to read to you a verse from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read it fairly quickly here as soon as I get there. Philippians 4, verse 9, it says, These, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Paul told Timothy, the things that you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do. It's not just that we tell our children that the word of God matters, and that they should love it, and that they should embrace it. It's that we ought to model that before them. It's been adequately said before, more is caught than taught. Let me ask you a question, ladies. How many of you learned to cook from your mother? A few of you. Some of you don't want to raise your hands. When your mother taught you how to cook, how did she do it? Did she teach you to cook by sitting down and opening a cookbook? and reading recipes to you while you were eating frozen TV dinners? Probably not. If so, don't share your cooking with me, all right? Maybe you'd say, you know how my mom taught me to cook? Three times a week, we would sit down for an hour in front of the Food Network and watch a cooking show. And that's how my mom taught me to cook. Mm, still probably not the greatest cook. No, how did your mom teach you how to cook? Well, she cooked. And she brought you with her. And she showed you what to do. Right? You watched and observed her and thereby learned 
Go with me to the book of Hebrews, if you will. Hebrews chapter 5. My grandma was known as a great cook. Everyone, not only in the family, but anyone who ever tried her food just loved it, especially certain things that she made. She made homemade bread that was kind of a famous recipe. The, one of the things about it was it drove people crazy because everybody loved it when she made it, but when they tried to make it, it never turned out right. You know why it didn't turn out right? Because if you read, she actually wrote out the recipe a few times. If you read the recipe, it would say things like this. Add flour until it looks right. Knead the dough until it's the right texture. Well, that's kind of hard to know what to do. But the thing is, she didn't have all of the instructions of exactly what to do, but she knew how to make bread. If you wanted to learn how to make bread, you did it with grandma. Because more is caught than taught. Hebrews 5, verse number 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Isn't it interesting that the word of righteousness, speaking of the Bible, is something that requires skill. Verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I am burdened about the fact that I believe a lot of our young people growing up in Christian homes, good Bible-preaching churches, have a basic grasp of some biblical truths, probably can tell you a lot of the stories of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Kings, some things about the life of Christ, maybe can quote some famous verses of the Bible, but they themselves have no idea how to open a Bible and to discern good and evil. They are unskillful in the word of righteousness. I'm not talking about young children. I'm talking about teenagers and young adults and maybe even older adults who have never had their senses exercised to become skillful in the word of righteousness. Look what he says, strong meat, verse 14, belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. How do you become skillful in the word of righteousness? Will you use it? And you use it, and you use it, you use it. And by the way, as we talk about modeling things before our children, our children ought to see from us and experience and watch us as we take issues and questions and, and struggles, as we try to understand God's will and purpose for our life, they ought to see us go to this book and find the answers. 
They ought to be able to ask a question and have us open a Bible and walk them through the scriptures and help them to find the answer from the word of God. Because if we want our children to know God and to know his word, it's not going to simply be enough that, well, dad says and pastor said, and that's, there's going to come a day that's not enough anymore. They've got to get some exercise in the Word of God. They've got to learn the truth of the Word of God. Folks, we've got to do this thing. We've got to help them to grow in it because if they are going to embrace it, they have to see in us that we love God and that His Word is in us. It's part of us. It's who we are. I've known in my life several car guys. You get them talking about cars and you can't get them to stop. Makes, models, years, engine sizes, different types of tires and what they do. I mean, they just talk cars all the time. I've known and even at times maybe been accused of being a gun guy. You know what happens with gun guys? They talk. They talk about guns. They talk about calibers. They talk about sizes. They talk about new guns versus old guns. They talk about action types. They talk about all kinds of things. This is true of so many different things. You know why? The things that we put in, the things that we feed ourselves, the things that we think about, those are the things that come out of us. You may be very intelligent, very educated. You might be able to talk to your children about mathematics and philosophy and language and history. You ever been around a history buff? Man, they got a story for everything. And they can tell you about this battle that happened in this place and this empire that rose and, and all these things that happened. Listen, you might be able to talk to your children about that, but can I ask you something? Do they hear the word of God flowing out of you? Is it just part of your conversation, part of your life? We don't really have time to get into this too much tonight, but I want you to notice this in Deuteronomy 6. He said in verse number 7, And thou shalt teach them, not thou shalt teach these words, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, this, this ought to be a, an everyday conversation with you and your children, the Word of God. And by the way, that's not just, okay, it's dinner time or after dinner, we're going to sit down and take 15 or 20 minutes and talk about the Bible. That's really important. We're going to talk about that in a future message, Lord willing. But notice, you're going to talk about these things when you're sitting in your house, also when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Pretty much every part of the day, the word of God should be in your mouth. Your children should be hearing God's word. Listen, let me say this also. It is, this, is not, this is not the responsibility of a Sunday school teacher or a pastor to teach your children the word of God. It's yours. It's your responsibility. And what he's saying is create an environment, create a culture in your home where the word of God is central. It's quoted. It's talked about. Mom, Dad, why do we do this? Well, because God said, 
Well, mom, why don't we do this? Why don't we watch this? Why don't we dress this way? Uh, why, why do we pray before meals? Uh, why do we go to church every Sunday and every Wednesday? Why do we talk to people about Jesus? Mom, dad, why? How many of you have had a kid that asks why all the time? Man, it's good. They're inquisitive. They want to know. You ought to have a Bible answer. <laughs> I'm telling you, this book has the answer to everything. It's in there. This book teaches what you need to know for every decision in life, either by precept, direct command, by principle, some, some overarching principle, or by precedent, some example that you can find of someone in the Bible. I'm telling you, it's in there. You got a question? You'll find it in here. And as your children ask, the, the Lord told the Israelites several times when your children ask you in time to come. It was just understood there's going to come a day that they want to ask. And the, the, the idea was this. You need to be ready with an answer. You know what that means? If you want them to know it, it's got to be in you. I want my children to know God. I want them to love God. But the responsibility falls on my shoulders to have a genuine, sincere, and honest walk with God and a love for Him and a love for His Word. And friend, if that's not true in you, how are you going to raise your children to fear and obey God?